Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Pulled from the hottest topics coming across our news desk, I'm Elissa Branch, and this is Housing Wire Daily. Today's Real Trending crossover episode features Real Trends advisor Steve Murray as he discusses a new brokerage model and the impact of institutional investors. He also shares some insight into the current state and possible challenges facing the mortgage and title industry under new CFPB leadership. But before we listen, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Want to give your customers the streamlined mortgage experience they expect? Fannie Mae's digital mortgage solutions are fast, efficient, contactless, and they save paper. Our digital mortgage solutions provide efficiency for you, convenience for your customers, and deliver a great experience at every stage of the mortgage cycle. Own the mortgage experience with Fannie Mae's innovative solutions. Visit FannieMae.com slash go digital. Hi, this is Steve Murray with HW Media and Real Trends. Today, I want to cover three things. There's a new brokerage model emerging. I want to talk about that a bit. Number two, an update on our views of the Department of Justice and Federal Trade Commission investigations or review of our industry. And last, the role of institutional investors and iBuyers. A lot of chatter about that out there. So we'll cover a little bit about that. All right, let's dive right in. The new brokerage model emerging. We've all watched the companies that are doing bridge financing, Ribbon and others, Knock, and we've watched the iBuyers, whether it's Zillow, Redfin, Open Door, OfferPad, all kinds of people. And it occurs to us from talking to industry leaders who are engaged in some of these services that coming soon down the road here, we're going to have a new type of brokerage company. One that, for instance, doesn't just offer, hey, we've got great agents, great listing tools, great listing packages and marketing and staging, all good services. And for buyers, helping them find the right house, negotiate the deal, find mortgage, arrange for inspections, arrange for household goods movement, all the things that we've traditionally done. But it occurs to us that leading brokerage companies of all brands and all sizes and all shapes are going to need to bring into that mix of services their own bridge financing and their own eye-buying capabilities their own ability to bring these services to their agents to offer to the buyers and sellers. I think it's at this point going to become a foregone conclusion that leading brokers are going to need to retrain agents, much as they did 10, 12 years ago, to deal with distressed inventory and short sales. And it was a whole new skill level, a whole different level of services that were required to compete. We think that going forward at this point, leading brokers are going to need to not just say, oh, I can offer these services, 
but to literally embed them in the base services that all of their agents are encouraged to offer and make buyers and sellers aware that we have these capabilities. Whether the brokerage is providing the financing themselves or not, partnering with other companies to offer them suffices. But we think that particularly leading brokerage companies, we'll call them market share leaders, are going to need to actually incorporate and embed these services in their everyday offerings to buyers and sellers. That's going to require a whole new level of skill at implementation and training. But after 40 years of watching brokers adapt and retrain and re-gear and reinvest, we know that leading brokers are very much up to that task. And it's kind of exciting to be able to compete and to broaden your service offering because clearly consumers are really interested in knowing all of the options they might have to buy and sell homes. Secondly, a lot of questions and conversation about the Department of Justice and Federal Trade Commission and their reviews, their settlement talks with NAR and the industry. First of all, we just declaim that we don't know anything more than anyone else does other than what we read. However, among the things we read that give us clues as to what we can expect are two, pretty three actually, very important events that have happened in the last three, four months. First, the Department of Justice Antitrust Division basically calls off, pulls back, renegs on a settlement agreement with the National Association of Realtors that would have provided basically a lot more transparency to buyers and what their agents are earning. They just simply walked away, postponed it, whatever you want to say. That's a pretty big event. Second, we notice that the Biden administration has appointed a new sheriff at the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau. Now, for those who have long memories, when they founded that new government agency, they gave it omnipotent powers over the financial services industry. And its first director, Richard Cordray, took advantage of the fact that he had unlimited resources and unlimited, if you will, discretion as to how he would carry out his mission, basically took on a role and leadership where he would find people guilty and then find the laws or create laws to apply to them. And that was very clear, very, very clear. He kind of just said, I am going to do what I'm going to do, because primarily the way that agency was structured, there was no accountability to anyone. Okay, so then we had him leave to head back to Ohio, and the Trump administration appointed new people who were, let's just say, simply more prudent about how they applied rules and regulations and truly were probably more business friendly. Well, that's gone now. And the Biden administration has appointed a brand new sheriff at the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau one whose entire background is more like Cordray than the Trump administration's appointee. 
you can expect far more scrutiny of the mortgage lending industry, the title insurance industry, the lending, and certainly iBuyers and bridge loan companies like Ribbon or Knock are likely to get a lot of scrutiny, a lot more than they have over the last four years. We don't know where that leads. Lastly, just within the last week, it was announced that Zillow had closed on its acquisition of showing time, having been granted permission or clearance, if you will, by the Federal Trade Commission. For those who don't know, the Federal Trade Commission reviews almost all mergers and acquisitions above roughly $100 million in value. Certainly, the Zillow showing time deal announced at $500 million met that qualification and had to undergo what's called a Hart-Scott-Rodino review. The FTC reviewed it and granted permission to go forth. However, just in the last few days, perhaps week, the new head of the FTC, again, a President Biden appointee, Lena Khan, announced that Zillow should go forth with the showing time deal at their own peril because the FTC was going to review their prior review. We don't know where that leads, but that is a highly unusual move by the Federal Trade Commission to review its own approval of just a few months ago. So when people talk about what do we think the Department of Justice Antitrust Division and the Federal Trade Commission are going to do in terms of their review of the realtors and our MLSs and our system of business, all we can suppose at this time is a far more anti-realtor, anti-brokerage industry, anti-MLS view of things, more of a skeptical view of our business. That's what we can expect. And in fact, just a few weeks ago, President Biden himself was quoted as saying he's asked the FTC to look into our industry further and to find out what needs to be done to create a more competitive environment. So when you ask the question, what does the future look like? Well, over the next few years, I think it's very clear that from all directions, our industry is going to get far more scrutiny. What that outcome is, this writer has no idea. Lastly, this whole issue of institutional investment in single-family residential, and maybe we include the iBuyer activity in this segment. We have written about this and even commented about it before, but there seems to be a lot of hysteria around the influence they are having in markets. Let's set the stage first. Starting at the end of the last downturn, primarily private individuals started accumulating portfolios of single-family properties as investments. Now, this has always been a part of the makeup of our industry. Prior to the downturn, it was estimated that nearly 20 million one-to-four-family homes were owned and rented out by private individual investors. So then the downturn happens, and those kind of people start accumulating more than ever before because there was a great opportunity. 
to buy foreclosures, distressed homes, and be able to rent them at very, very strong returns. Well, that very, very strong returns caught the attention of Wall Street, who now began to look at the single-family market as a new asset class. Nothing more, nothing less. Not to take over the industry, not to take over entire housing markets and cities, but simply as a good investment class as a means of diversification and, frankly, a way to make significant double-digit returns, both from rental income and appreciation in the assets. The market has proven that to be true. And with still far more demand than there is supply, it's a pretty good bet for anyone for the long term. Ask anyone who's owned their home almost everywhere over the last five years what's happened to the value of their homes. We can also look at the rent incomes from homes, which has also gone up by double-digit rates over the last three to five years. Institutional investors have no nefarious claims on our industry of the American housing stock. Let me put it in perspective. Currently, according to a report done this past spring, institutional investors own something less than 400,000 single-family homes out of a market of over 80 million. For those who can do math, that's about a half of 1% of the housing stock. A half of 1%. Now, according to that same report, iBuyers, as of the end of the first quarter, were on an annualized basis buying somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 to 15,000 homes a quarter, maximum. If we annualize that and say, okay, that's 40 to 60,000 homes a year, that's out of 6 million existing single family home sales. Again, we're talking less than 1%. Now, yes, some markets, it's 3 to 5%. We understand that. But this is certainly nothing to get hysterical or worried about at this time. The American housing stock is in the trillions of dollars of value, and we're highly confident that no institutional investors or group of investors could possibly buy enough to have a significant impact on the whole market. This has been Steve Murray for Real Trends. Looking for more insight into what will happen in 2022? Or maybe you need more information on what in the world is happening with the federal regulators. Or you could just be looking for information on how to stay competitive as the industry shifts to a purchase-focused market. Our HW Plus Premium Membership comes with all of this insight and more. With your HW Plus Membership, you'll get at least five HW Plus articles a week that dive deeper into the daily news to help you confidently make business decisions. To join, go to housingwarrant.com forward slash membership. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. I hope you have a great afternoon. If you haven't already, make sure to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on all the hottest stories crossing our news desk daily. The podcast is now available wherever you like to listen. Make sure to tune in tomorrow.